نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a slave servant in his messenger. This evening, bi-idhnillah ta'ala, in this lecture, number 50, from the series of the Sharh, or explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed, al-Ladhi huwa haqqullah ala al-Abid, al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab ibn Sulaiman al-Tamimi al-Najdi rahimahullah, discuss the topic of Al-Halaf or Kathratul Al-Halaf he entitled the Bab or the chapter Bab Ma Jaa Fi Kathratul Al-Halaf yani what has been mentioned or what has been reported in the Quran or in the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam concerning the prohibition of Kathratul Al-Halaf yani frequently swearing or oath taking frequently without concern or without consideration or without consciousness of the seriousness of using the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our oath as just a common gesture before reading the evidences that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has mentioned in this chapter the evidences from the Quran and the evidences from the authentic hadith of the Prophet I would like to look at the introductory remarks of some of the scholars concerning this chapter and its importance. The first of them is that which has been written by Al-Imam Sheikh Abdulaziz ibn Abdullah ibn Baz rahimahullah in his commentary, his brief commentary on Kitab al-Tawheed, he said that the author, the author that is Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, intended by this chapter to clarify the point that Kathratul Halif, yani frequent, frequent swearing or frequent <coughs> oath-taking, that it is a naqs, it is a defect in Iman, and it is a naqs a defect in a tawheed because frequently or frequent swearing or oath taking leads to a number of things from amongst them it leads to a tasahil fi dhalik wa adam al mubala yani the person who frequently swears on every occasion and for every matter using the name of Allah it becomes an easy matter they take it as an easy matter 
and they don't have concern for how they use the name of Allah in swearing. They don't have any concern. It becomes an easy matter and we find today in some of the Muslim societies that some of the Muslims swear by Allah, Wallahi, on everything that they say. Wallahi this and Wallahi that. Swearing by Allah as though it is a light matter. The second thing that it leads to is Al-Kajit, lying. Because indeed the one who swears a lot, some of what they swear by will not be the truth. That means they will be swearing by the name of Allah, by the name of Allah and that which is falsehood. And the third thing that it leads to is that others will think that one is lying. If one frequently swears by the name of Allah, then people will think that your swearing has no value and therefore they will think that you are lying. As Shaykh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz says, Indeed, the one who often swears or frequently takes an oath will fall into lying. Therefore, it is expected and it is required that a Muslim should reduce one's use of the name of Allah in swearing, should decrease the use of Allah's name in swearing, and should not swear frequently or often. For this reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Wahfadu Aymanakum, protect or preserve your oath. That when you swear, you should be careful. And some of the scholars explained it as we go into the evidences, what is the meaning of have or protecting or preserving one's oath. The Shaykh says, This ayat, Wahfadu Aymanakum, and protect and preserve your oath, it is a command, which means that it is obligatory. It is obligatory on the Muslim to protect and preserve his oath. And be careful in using the name of Allah. Except for a need. Except when there is a need for that. Therefore the Muslim or the believer protects his oath. And he only uses it for need or necessity or for some maslaha shar'iyya. A legal Islamic benefit for some reason. A beneficial reason. At the time when there is a dispute and one has to take an oath. At such an occasion, for that which is similar to it, however, the believer should avoid and be careful of frequently swearing. Also, similarly, a Sheikh Abdurrahman Nasr al Saadi, Rahimahullah, and his also any brief comments concerning this chapter from Kitab al Tawheed, that which has been narrated concerning frequent swearing. He also shows the importance of this chapter and the need that every Muslim, every true believer who has Iman in Allah and who wants to increase and protect and perfect their Tawheed, that they should pay attention and not take this matter lightly. Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi rahimahullah says that the origin of al-Yameen or swearing or taking an oath, it was legislated to confirm the matter for which one is swearing about. Yeah, and the purpose of swearing is when there is a need to confirm something that someone, that a statement that someone is, is saying. And it was also legislated, ta'zeeman lil khaliq, as a means of glorification, as a means of exaltation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Creator. Yeah, and he's swearing by the name of Allah, it is a means of glorifying Allah and exalting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the oath taking, the one who swears, swears by that which is great, that which is exalted, not by anything or something insignificant. For this reason, it is obligatory 
that if one swears, one should only swear by Allah. The Shaykh says, for this reason, if one swears, one should only swear by Allah, not by other than Allah. And secondly, and, and he says, because the swearing by other than Allah, it is shirk, as mentioned in the earlier chapter. But when one swears, one should swear only by Allah, because swearing by other than Allah is shirk. Secondly, he says, from the perfection or the completion of the ta'zim of Allah, the glorification of Allah, in order for it to be complete, it is required that one should not swear by Allah except on that which is true. And one should only swear by Allah. And when one swears by Allah, one should only swear by Allah upon that which is true. And also from the perfection or the completion of the ta'zim of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the glorification of Allah, is that one has respect for the great name of Allah by not using it often for swearing upon everything or not swearing upon that which is lying or swearing often because these things are a nullification or a negation of the ta'zim or the glorification of Allah which is the spirit or the essence of a tawheed that is the essence of a tawheed is the glorification of Allah and whoever swears frequently or swears upon that which is other than the truth then that person has decreased the glorification of Allah or the perfection of their tawheed which requires his glorification indeed one should be careful of not swearing often and not swearing upon other than the truth and only swearing by the name of Allah Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab in this chapter mentions a number of evidences the first of them an ayah from the Quran and then that which remains are a hadith of the Prophet concerning this very important and practical matter that every Muslim needs to give attention to. The first evidence that he mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 89 and in the original text of Kitab al-Tawheed Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab didn't mention the whole of the ayah. However, some of the scholars who explain Kitab al-Tawheed have mentioned the complete text of this ayah for the benefit that came with it. However, the portion of the ayat that he has mentioned is only that part related to our topic. The ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this ayat, لَا يُؤَاخِذُكُمُ اللَّهِ بِاللَّغْوِ فِي أَيْمَانِكُمْ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not call you to account. Allah does not hold you accountable for that with the oath that you swear unintentionally, unconsciously. And not meaning really to make an oath, but words that are casual on the tongue of the people, which it shouldn't be, but it is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't hold you to account for the oath that you make unintentionally. But Allah holds you to account for those oaths which you have made intentionally, deliberately, consciously, meaning it as an oath, meaning to swear by Allah upon something. If one has in their heart the intention to swear by Allah on something, in that case, the one who has said so, who has done so consciously, intentionally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds you to account for it. You are accountable for it. It is a matter of any concern and a person should take it seriously. Whoever has done so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds you to account for those oaths which you made intentionally. Therefore the expiation for the one who has done so, who has made an oath deliberately, intentionally, consciously, its expiation is it'am. عَشَرَةِ مَسَاكِينَ 
min awsati ma tut'ima ahlikum that one should feed 10 poor people with the average food that one feeds one family with aw qiswatihim aw qiswatuhum of clothing 10 poor people aw tahriru raqabatin or the freeing of a slave yani the one who makes an oath intentionally deliberately and they fail to comply with that which they have made an oath to do or that which they have made an oath to leave they swear by Allah that they would do something and they don't do it or they swear by Allah that they would not do something and then they do it the expiation for doing so is the feeding of ten poor people with the average food that you feed your family with the same food that you feed your family with not according to their standards but according to your standards or clothing ten people or freeing a slave then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and this is, the person has the choice between these three options. فَمَنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ فَالْسِيَامُ ثَلَاثَةِ أَيَّامٍ ذَلِكَ كَفَّارَةُ أَيْمَانِكُمْ إِذَا حَلَقْتُمْ But whoever is not able to do any of these first three things, then the final option is that that person should fast for three days. And according to the reading of Abdul Abdul Mas'ud of this ayat, it is three consecutive days and it has been reported with an authentic chain of narration as confirmed by Shaykh al-Bani that that reading is correct. The meaning of it is three consecutive days, not three days yani, separately, but three consecutive days. That is the expiation for your oath if you make an oath for those who have sworn upon something. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala closed this ayat with the shahid or the point of reference for our topic of discussion وَاحْفَظُوا أَيْمَانَكُمْ ذَلِكَ كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ آيَاتِهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Therefore one should preserve or protect one's oath and in this way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made clear to you his signs that you may be thankful after mentioning that Allah doesn't hold you to account for the oath that you make unintentionally but he takes you to account for the oath which you make intentionally and whoever makes such an oath and doesn't keep it, then the expiation for it, after explaining what it is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then orders us in the command form, وَحْفَظُوا أَيْمَانَكُمْ Therefore protect and preserve your oaths. And the protection and the preserving of the oaths, according to many of the scholars, it is three things. Number one, in the beginning, that one should not frequently make oaths. Yani avoid making an oath, if it is possible, except when necessary. And the second is if one has made an oath and then they broke the oath in that case preserving the oath means that you have to make an expiation for it if one makes an oath one first should avoid making an oath and secondly if we make oath we should keep the oath we should fulfill it however if we break the oath then we should make an expiation yani first avoiding the oath except for necessity and second if we make an oath keeping it fulfilling it and third if we have to break the oath then making the expiation for it and some of the scholars said that according to the hadith of the Prophet if someone has made an oath to do that which is haram or that which is forbidden then they, they must break the oath and they must make the expiation for it the Shaykh Al-Qara'awi Allah says concerning this ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us in this ayah that he does not take one to account except the one who intentionally makes an oath and he swears by something and he intentionally 
deliberately, consciously. Otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't take one to account for that which they have done unintentionally. The one who has done so intentionally, then the expiation for him, if he breaks that oath, that yameen, if he breaks it, then it is, as it has been made clear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that it is the feeding of ten poor people. Without extravagance, and according to that which you normally feed your family, and not being stingy, giving them less than that. Or, or clothing ten people, or freeing a slave, a believing slave. And if one is not able to do any of those things, these three things, then that person should fast for three consecutive days. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this kafara or this expiation as a opening or a way out or a solution from that which one has fallen into of making an oath and then they found that breaking that oath is better than keeping it. And if somebody made an oath and they found that not to keep that oath it is better than to fulfill it then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made a way out for them in this kafara, in this expiation. And for example, if a person said that I would not help so-and-so ever, no matter what their situation, and that person who they vowed not to help is a believer, and that person became in need, then they should break that oath and help that person. But they have to fulfill, they have to make the expiation for breaking their oath, because one should avoid making such oaths and this is the penalty that one has to pay if one finds oneself in this situation. <clears throat> then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the Muslims to protect and preserve their oaths, not to swear or to take oaths frequently so that one would not find oneself subject to breaking it. Because doing so, it is thinking little of and taking lightly the use of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear that the ahkam or the rulings that he has mentioned here in this ayat that they are a ni'mah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a ni'mah from Allah that he has given us a way out from what we have fallen into and therefore one should, it is obligatory on one to be thankful. It is obligatory on one to be thankful for that ni'mah or that bounty or the favor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us. Not only that favor but others of the favors of Allah which we cannot count which we might be aware of or we might not be aware of. In this way Islam has shown the exalted nature and the nobility its nobility and its ease in offering solutions to the problems before falling into them. And Islam not only gives the solution to the problem after the fact but here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us وَحْفَذُوا أَيْمَانَكُمْ Yani protect yourself or protect your oath by protecting yourself from falling into that which would be for you a problem later if one frequently swears inevitably it would lead to problems for them either in fulfilling that oath it will be a difficulty on them or if they break it then they have to make the expiation for it so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the advice or the guidance to prevent oneself from falling into difficulty also, the Shaykh mentioned that Islam has called the people to the free, freeing of slaves, freeing of those people in slavery from that condition, and has encouraged the people to do so since 1,400 years, before the Western people woke up from their ignorance, and before they woke up from their sleep, and claimed that they are the ones who first called to the abolition of slavery. It was Islam 
1400 years ago that called the people and encouraged the people to the abolition of slavery. The Sheikh mentioned seven benefits or fawaid from this ayat. The first of them is the clarification of the nobility and the exalted nature of Islam. The second of them is that there is no sin and there is no expiation for the one who makes an oath yani, not indeliberately, yani, not intentionally. There is no sin on that person and there is no expiation for doing so. However, it indeed decreases. It is a nuts or a decrease in one's iman and one's tawheed. It should be avoided. Number three, the prohibition of breaking the oath, the intentional oath, except for a maslaha, except for some benefit. Otherwise, if someone has made an intentional oath, as long as it is not something haram or forbidden, then one should keep that oath, should fulfill it. Number four, the obligation of the kafara, the expiation for one's oath, for al-yameen, the oath that one has sworn upon, or the oath that one has taken. And it is, as has been explained in detail in the ayat, feeding of ten poor people of clothing, of ten poor people of freeing a slave. Or finally, if none of these are possible, fasting of three consecutive days. Number five, that Islam has preceded the other nations in calling to the freeing of slaves from slavery and has encouraged the believers to do so. Number six, the prohibition of frequently swearing. The prohibition of frequently swearing. And this is the point of this chapter, that a Muslim should avoid frequent swearing, even on that which is true. Number seven, the obligation of hafz al-yameen and al-kadid. Yani that one should protect oneself from swearing on that which is false. The relationship of this ayat to the chapter under discussion is that this ayat indicates the prohibition of frequent swearing, except for a reason, except for yani, a necessity or a need. And the relationship of this ayat to the general topic of a tawheed is that while this ayat prohibits frequent swearing, it is due to the fact that frequent swearing diminishes or reduces the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is a nullification of a tawheed or it is a nullification of the perfection of one's tawheed and one's iman. The second evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions, rahimahullah, عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أنه أنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه he said that I heard the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم saying الحلف منفقة للسلعة ممحقة للكسب أو للكسب and this is the wording of the hadith يعني as it is reported in the Sunan of Abu Dawood and Nasai however the wording that is reported by Imam al-Bukhari it is mamhaqatun lil-baraka and Imam Muslim narrated mamhaqatun lil-rib yani in this hadith the Prophet sallallahu said al-halifu manfaqatun lil-sil'ati yani that swearing swearing yani the one who is selling something using an oath swearing to the people that this is a good product or this price is a good price or I paid so much for it or whatever type of swearing that he does it may indeed be effective in causing his product to be sold and making more money and profit however while it is effective in doing so the Prophet ﷺ said it is mamhaqatun lil kasb or as Imam Bukhari said or in the narration of Imam Bukhari mamhaqatun lil baraka yani that it is a cause of the removal or the decrease of the blessings from one's earnings. Yani the blessing is decreased 
by such swearing. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He doesn't give His favor and His barakah to the one who does that which is displeasing to Him. Even if that one swears on their product truthfully, kathratul halaf is discouraged and it is detestable, it is makruh, it is undesirable, and a Muslim should avoid it. What about the one who swears about his product upon falsehood, lying? Then indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not give that person any barakah in their earnings, even if the earnings increase and the profits increase and the products are sold, in the end the barakah, the blessing of those earnings will be lost. And that's why you find some people who might make a lot of money, but we don't find them benefiting from it themselves, or we don't find others benefiting from it even though they have a lot of money. Some of them are very stingy, and they live in a pitiful, in a poor way, trying to hold on to their money so that they don't benefit from it and others don't benefit from it. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may cause their wealth to be lost through, to, through damage or through a theft. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may cause them to become sick whereas they have to spend their money on their sickness. Or some other way, in any case in the end the barakah of that wealth which is earned in this way is lost. And there is no benefit from it. The shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ has informed us that the merchant who swears upon his merchandise, lying, indeed it might lead to the moving of his product. It might lead to his product being sold and him making profit from it. However, in the end, it will be the cause of the loss of the barakah or the blessing in his earnings. And his wealth will not grow in reality, but it will decrease by one way or another. Perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause his initial capital as well as his profit all to be lost. For indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his bounties and his blessings will not be achieved or earned through disobedience to him through sin. And the dunya of this world, even if it is, appears to be beautiful to the sinner, for some time, indeed the end of it, the end of it is that it will go away, it will disappear, and the final result will be punishment in the next life. The Shaykh says there are three benefits from this hadith. The first of them is the prohibition of frequent swearing. The second of them is the prohibition of selling one's product through that which is haram, whether it is by swearing or otherwise, trying to make one's product or one's merchandise to be sold through illegal means is prohibited. Number three, uh, lying in buying and selling is the cause for the barakah or the blessing to be lost. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter under the discussion is that this hadith, as the previous ayat, indicates the prohibition of frequent swearing except for need or necessity or some benefit. Yani maslaha shari, a legal reason. The relationship of this hadith to the general topic of the Tawheed is that this hadith prohibits frequent swearing and that is because doing so it is a means of decreasing or a reduction or a nullification of the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is nullification of the Tawheed or a nullification of the perfection of the Tawheed. The next hadith that the Shaykh mentions, Rahimahullah, وعن سلمان رضي الله عنه perhaps it is Salman al-Farisi رضي الله عنه the great companion of the Prophet وسلم, who entered Islam at the time when the Prophet وسلم, reached Medina and participated in the battle of Khandaq رضي الله عنه he said, he said that 
أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ذات نسجب الله صلى الله عليه وسلم سيد ثلاثة لا يكلمهم الله ولا يزكيهم ولهم عذاب أليم That there are three ثلاثة three The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said There are three people or three classes or groups or types of people لا يكلمهم الله Allah سبحانه وتعالى will not speak to them Allah سبحانه وتعالى will not speak to them And that is indeed a great punishment for those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not speak to. And this is also a proof that there are those who Allah would speak to. That is those who are obedient to Him and those who are pleasing to Him. And this is also a proof that from the sifat of Allah is al-kalam, that Allah does indeed speak. But there are three classes of people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not speak to. وَلَا And Allah would not purify them. He would not sanctify them. He would not purge them of their sins or the effects or the results of their sins. He would not clean them from their sins because of the seriousness of their behavior and the severity of that which they engaged in وَلَاهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ and they will have a terrible punishment a severe punishment in the next life the first of them is أُشَيْمِتْ أُشَيْمِتْ ثَانٍ يعني an old man whose hair is gray due to old age he is not in his youth anymore and he doesn't have the desires that a young man has, in spite of that he is a zani and a fornicator, adulterer. In spite of the fact that there is no real reason for him to fall into such as the young person who might be unmarried and who might have sexual desires. They might fall into that. However, what is the excuse for an old man who doesn't have any more sexual desires? If there is no other reason, then that person loves disobedience. That that person doesn't have fear of Allah or the, or the weakness or the absence of their iman. The second of them, wa'ail. Mustakbir Yani the poor person, Fakir The poor person who is proud Who is arrogant Well he has no reason to be proud or arrogant Normally people are proud or arrogant because they have wealth Or because they have power or position or status But the poor man who has nothing What, what is he proud about? What is he arrogant? Looking at himself as being better than others based on what? Even the one who is rich Or the one who has power or status in the society For that one to be proud it is a major sin What about the one who doesn't have any reason Or anything that would cause him to be proud of? doesn't have anything that pushes him to be proud then this is looked at by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as being worse than the other who has a cause to be proud وَرَجُلٌ جَعَلَ اللَّهَ بَضَاعَتَهُ لَا يَشْتَرِهِ إِلَّا بِيَمِينِهِ وَلَا يَبِيعُ إِلَّا بِيَمِينِهِ and also a man who makes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as his merchandise yani he makes swearing by Allah his merchandise yani he sells, he doesn't sell except that he sells by using an oath swearing by Allah and he doesn't buy except that he uses an oath swearing by Allah whatever he buys and whatever he sells he buys and sells by swearing by Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this one or the Prophet said that this one is the third of those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not speak to nor would he purify them and for them is a terrible punishment the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet informed us that there are three types of people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not speak to on Yawm al-Qiyamah and He would not purify them from the filth of the sins by His maghzirah, by His forgiveness He would not purify them from the filth or the uncleanliness of their sins by giving them His forgiveness and that is because of the sin, that sins that they have committed while there was no call or any need or anything pushing them to do so and this is what indicates the fact that sinfulness or disobedience to Allah it is something that is in their nature 
the one who commits such sins in that situation, the old man who commits fornication or adultery, or the poor person who has no position or status or wealth and yet he is proud and arrogant over others, and the one who doesn't buy or sell except, by, except that he uses the name of Allah lightly. Taking the swearing by the name of Allah is something lightly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't accept from these people and therefore the punishment for them it is severe. He said that these three people, the first of them is the one who commits a zina, fornication or adultery, while that person is advanced in age and his sexual desires are weakened or reduced or non-existent and yet he still commits such a sin. The second of them is the one who is proud and arrogant over the other people while he is without any of the reasons for which a person would normally be proud even though being proud with those reasons is also unacceptable and he doesn't have wealth, he doesn't have status or even position in the society and the third of them is the one who takes the use of the name of Allah lightly Yani he does not take it seriously he has scorn or disdain for using the name of Allah using it easily, frequently swearing without any correct or acceptable reason the Shaykh says that from this hadith there are three fawaid or benefits the first of them is confirmation of al-kalam the characteristic of speech for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the way that is suitable and appropriate to His Majesty and His glory. The second of them is confirmation of the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed will speak to Ahl al-Ta'a that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak to the people of obedience, those who obey Him but He will not speak to those who are disobedient to Him. And the third of them is the prohibition of al-zina fornication or adultery and al-kibr arrogance or pride and al-ikfar min al-yameen yani frequent swearing or oath-taking. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter under discussion is that it indicates the prohibition of frequent swearing without a cause or reason. Yani, as mentioned, the third of those people, the one who frequently swears, yani he doesn't buy or sell except by swearing by Allah and there's no reason to do so. The relationship of this hadith to the general topic of the Tawheed is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of frequent swearing and that is because frequent swearing it is it is an expression of disdain or scorn for the use of the name of Allah it is taken lightly and not taken seriously the using of the name of Allah and this is a nullification of Tawheed and it is a nullification of that which is a part of Tawheed, the glorification or the exaltation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fourth evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions, Rafi al-Sahih, yani in the authentic books. Here he means al-Bukhari or Muslim. In fact, this hadith has been narrated by both of them. Rafi al-Sahih, and Imran ibn Hussain, radiallahu anhu, anhu qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That Imran ibn Hussain, the companion of the Prophet وسلم, he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said خَيْرُ أُمَّتِي قَرْنِي يعني the best of my ummah and his ummah is the best of the ummah therefore the best of this ummah which is the best ummah they are the best of humanity خَيْرُ أُمَّتِي قَرْنِي the best of my ummah is my generation some of the scholars said القرن it means a hundred years and some of them said 80 years and some of them said 40 years and some of them said more or less in any case the general meaning of it is people from a similar time period the best of his of his qarn means his generation that is as-sahaba radiyallahu anhum ajma'in 
that asad ma humma is qarni thumma alladheena yalunahum then those who follow them meaning the next generation the students of sahaba the tabi'un rahimahumullah thumma alladheena yalunahum then those who follow them meaning the next generation the students of the tabi'in atba' tabi'in rahimahumullah yani the best of ma umma is my generation then the generation that follows them and then the generation that follows them qala imran radiyallahu anhu fala adri adhatara ba'd qarnihi marratayn aw thalathan he said the narrator the companion imran ibn husayn radiyallahu anhu he said i don't know if he mentioned after his generation the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned two generations after that or three generations after that in fact he mentioned two generations after that as mentioned in other hadith yani these three generations his companions his generation and two after that the tabi'in and azza tabi'in then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said after this statement of imran there's an ayah saying i don't know if he said two or three generations then he goes back to the statement of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and said thumma inna ba'dakum qaumun wa qauman yani the most correct of the narrations is qaumun while grammatically it seems like it should be qauman in some of the narrations of the hadith it is written qauman inna ba'dakum qaumun yashhaduna wa la yastashhadun that after you there will be a people not all of the people of that generation but some of the people qaumun there will be some of the people from amongst them and there will be many yes yashhaduna they would offer testimony or witness while they have not been called or requested or required to testify yani they would freely and easily without concern give testimony and this is a blameworthy characteristic that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was saying that a person easily unconcernedly offers to testify without being called upon to testify wa yaquluna wa la yu'tamanun and that for, and they and from amongst them another characteristic of those people yaquluna that they would violate trust yani there would be a people who would be known for violation of trust al khiyana that they would not fulfill trust if they were entrusted if they were entrusted they are known that they are the people who do not fulfill trust wala yu'nanu wala wala yu'tanun and they would not be yani they would not be given trust yani the people would know that they are the people of khiana that they are not trustworthy people therefore they would not be given trust wa yanziruna wala yufun and also they would make vows but they would not keep them they would vow to do things and they would not keep their vows and these people were offered testimony without being called upon they are known to not keep trust and therefore people would not give them trust and they would make vows but they would not keep them and finally he said wa yadharu fihim as-siman and they would appear amongst them as-siman that is fatness obesity and that is not the person who physically doesn't have any control over their condition but Allah created them in that way but it means the person who is normal and they got fat due to easy living due to overeating and drinking and not taking care of themselves the person who eats too much and drinks too much and sleeps too much and doesn't do anything that they should be doing and they get fat from that it is this type of lifestyle that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is yani criticizing or condemning in this hadith the sheikh says in this hadith the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam informs us that the best of the ummah is his generation and the three generations after him yani that's how the sheikh said it here however it is two generations after him and that is due to the freshness of islam and the uniqueness of islam 
and that Islam in those two generations after the generation of the Prophet ﷺ remained free from the evil and the corruption of the Mulhiddin, the apostates, and the Zanadiqah, the atheists. But after that time, many people apostated and many people went outside of Islam and they affected Islam and they corrupted Islam. Then in those generations that followed the first three, the khair or the good would decrease in this ummah, which would decrease. And evil would spread generation after generation. Evil would spread generation after generation. Then there would appear amongst those people, after the first three generations, people who would hasten to give witness before they were called upon. They would take lightly the matter of giving shahada. Yani if they were called to make a testimony, it means nothing to them. Even if they were not called, they were willing to testify. While well, it is a serious matter. And they, he says, that they would violate oath when people gave them a trust. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen concerning this point, he said that in fact these people and this description that the Prophet ﷺ has made about them is that they are Ahl Khiyana. They are not Ahl Amana. They are the people who are known to violate trust and not to keep a trust. They are not the people who would be trusted. Therefore the people wouldn't even trust them. The people would not even trust them with anything. They are not the people that are given trust and then they violate it. They are known for a violation of trust. They are not known to be the people of trust, therefore the people don't even trust them with anything. And the meaning here, the Shaykh, Shaykh Muhammad says, Rahimahullah, Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih says, that the meaning here is not that the people have entrusted, with, entrusted them with something and then they violated it. But in fact, violation of trust is part of their nature. And therefore, people would not even entrust them with anything. Then he said also that they are the people who would not keep their vows if they make them and they would go forward towards the world and the beautification and adornment of this world and the desires and temptations of this world until fatness would appear amongst them. Here the Shaykh al-Qarawi, Hafidhullah, mentions the benefits from this hadith for Tafdeel al-Qurun al-Arba'a al-Ula and the preference of the first four generations and actually it should be the first three generations and in the correct opinion of the scholars is that there is preference for the first three generations the generation of Sahaba and Tabi'in and Atba'a Tabi'in and the reason why he said the first four generations is because the narrator of the hadith said I don't know what the Prophet said after his generation two or three so he said the first four generations however the correct opinion concerning this as Shaykh Muhammad Al-Sayyid and other of the scholars have said is that it is the first three generations Shaykh Muhammad says that Rahimahullah, if Imran ibn Hussein radiallahu anhu was unsure, he didn't know, and whether it was two or three generations, then the asl is that he's two. The asl, yani we should say it is two then, not three. He is not sure about three, but he is sure about two. And he said that this, in that case, the preferred generations, Al-Qurun and Mufaddala, they would be three. And this is what is well known amongst the scholars of the people of Sunnah, that the preferred generations are three. The second point is the prohibition of al-khiyana, yani a violation of trust. The third point is the obligation of fulfilling one's vow, al-wafad al-nadr, if one makes a vow that they have to keep it. And by the way, the correct opinion concerning al-nadr is that it is from the characteristics of the believers. If they make a vow that they keep it. However, it is makruh to make vows. But instead if one wants to do something good, instead of vowing to Allah that you will do good, you should just do it. You should just do it. This is the opinion of the people of Sunnah based on a number of hadith of the Prophet ﷺ as reported in As-Sahih. 
keeping vows if you make it. The obligation of keeping vows if you make them. And number four, the prohibition of being preoccupied with this world and its pleasures so that you forget about Al-Akhirah, the next life. The relationship of this hadith to the topic of under discussion is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of violating or not fulfilling the vow that one makes. And this hadith shows that if one makes a vow that they should keep it. Because of the characteristics that is mentioned here that when one makes a vow, that these people when they make vows they don't keep them. The relationship of this hadith to the general topic of Tawheed is that this hadith indicates the prohibition uh, of not fulfilling one's vow or one's oath if they make it and that is because this is taken lightly the name of Allah it is taken lightly the use of the name of Allah and it is a reducing or a reduction of the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is a nullification of the tawheed or the perfection of the tawheed and it is also from the characteristics of the munafiqun that they make oaths and don't keep them here the shaykh says Mulahada, a note, he says that the reconciliation between the saying of the Prophet in this hadith and the blameworthy characteristic in this hadith of those who offer their testimony or offer a witness while they have not been called upon to do so. The, re- the reconciliation between this blameworthy description and the hadith of the Prophet that is uh, reported in the Sahih of Muslim from Zayd ibn Khalid ألا أخبركم بخير الشهداء الذي يأتي بشهادته قبل أن يسألها. يعني إذا فاق الصلاة سمع سلمنا وأثنتك حديث. He said, shall I not inform you of the best of the shuhada, the best of witnesses? It is the one who comes forth with his testimony before he is asked for it. Before he is asked for it. The reconciliation between blaming those who offer their testimony without being asked, and then praising those who offer their testimony without being asked, the Sheikh says, it is that we say it is permissible for the witness to offer his testimony before it is sought if Sahib al Haq, the one who is testifying in behalf of to help, if that person doesn't know that he is a witness to the matter. And if the person who needs his testimony doesn't know that he is a witness, therefore he can come forth without being asked. That is the meaning of praising the one who comes forth without being asked. While Blaming those who offer testimony without being asked, he said, it is that it is prohibited for the witness to offer his testimony before being asked if the one who he would testify for knows that he is a witness and doesn't call for him. In that case, he should stay out of it. Because offering testimony is a serious matter in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and nobody should be hasty to do so. Unless they are called upon to do so and then they should testify to only that which they know and they should testify with that which is true. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Usaymin also said concerning the reconciliation between these two hadiths it may also be understood that the second hadith the hadith of Zayd ibn Khalid radiallahu anhu it may be understood that the, that the Prophet sallallahu has praised those witnesses who come forth without being asked when it is matters from the The next, the last hadith that the Imam mentions, وفيه يعني عند الصحيح عن ابن مسعود 
رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال خير الناس قرني ثم الذين يلونهم ثم الذين يلونهم يعني the best of people the best of humanity is my generation and then those who follow them that means the Sahaba and then those who follow them that means the I mean the, those who follow them is the Tabi'een and those who follow them the Atba'at Tabi'een here in the text of the explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed that we are using al-Jadid it is mentioned in the narration of this hadith and a fourth generation however the correct narration of this hadith is that the Prophet only mentioned three narrations and that's how it came in Al-Bukhari and that's how it came in many of the books and the copies of Kitab al-Tawheed however in this copy it came by mentioning four generations my generation, then those who follow them, then those who follow them and then a fourth generation, those who follow them however the correct hadith or the correct narration of this hadith is that the Prophet said the best of humanity is my generation then those who follow them and then those who follow them three generations ثم يجيه قوم as it is in Bukhari ثم يجيه أقوام تسبق شهادة أحدهم يمينه ويمينه شهادته then there will come a people whose shahada his bearing witness or testimony would precede his swearing and he would testify before he would take oath and they would also be from amongst them those whose swearing would come before their testimony and they would hastily give witness and they would hastily swear and make oaths the shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that the prophet has informed us in this hadith that the best of this ummah or the best of humanity and of the best of them and the most powerful of them are these four first four generations he said here first four generations however that is according to the narration that is here in the book in the text of the book however the correct narration is the first three generations because that's how the hadith came in al-bukhari the preferable or the yani the preference of the first three generations and then the door of evil would be opened after them and much of this that the prophet has informed of has taken place and deviation apostasy and disbelief and atheism has spread and the affairs of the dunya have overcome the people and the people have يعني, opened themselves and engaged much in following their desires and taking lightly the affair of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his deen and therefore making an oath al-yameen and giving witness a shahada it became easy for them so they hastened to it even before they were requested or required to do so. The Shaykh mentions four benefits from this hadith. The first of them is the clarification of the preference of the first four generations over others besides them. And again, the first three generations is that which is correct. Number two, also in this hadith there is an indication of a mu'jiza for the Prophet and that what he had informed about it came true. And what he said about the first three generations and those after them, it came true. The third point is the prohibition of hastening to give a witness or testimony before one is asked. And number four, the prohibition of swearing <coughs> without being asked to swear. Yani except for a maslaha shari'ah, a legal reason. Yani this prohibition of, of, of taking an oath without being asked is not in the absolute sense, but it is a general prohibition, while there are some cases in which it is not prohibited. In relationship with this hadith, to the chapter under discussion, this hadith indicates the prohibition of hastening to take an oath of swearing and the relationship of this hadith to the general topic of a tawheed is that this hadith prohibits that one hastily take oath and that is because it is taken lightly or belittling or, or considering insignificant the use of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and swearing and it is 
a reduction in the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is the negation of a tawheed or negation of the perfection of one's tawheed. Finally, Imam Muhammad al Wahhab mentions the Athar or saying of Ibrahim al Nakai, which is reported in Sahih al Bukhari after the previous hadith directly under it. And Al Hawaz al Hajj al said that that Athar of Ibrahim al Nakai, rahimahullah, it came with the same isnad of the previous hadith in Sahih al Bukhari, and therefore it is an authentic Athar or statement or report from one of the Tabi'een, student of Abdul ibn Masood. It is reported in al Bukhari and it is also reported in Muslim with similar words. وَقَالَ إِبْرَهِيمَ النَّفَعِي رَحِيمَهَ اللَّهِ He was one of the scholars, one of the scholars, one of the fuqaha of the Sabi'een. He said, كَانُوا يَضْرِبُونَنَا عَلَى الشَّهَادَةِ وَالْأَحَدِ Yani they used to beat us due to الشَّهَادَةِ and الْأَحَدِ Testimony and taking oaths or making uh, contracts or making commitments. وَنَحْنُ صِدَابِ While we were young. Yani when we were young boys before we reached the age of puberty, those who were responsible for us used to beat us. If we would Number one, hastily or quickly hasten to take oaths or to make commitments or contracts or, or swearing. Or also, some of the scholars said that they used to beat them uh, in order to train them not to take the matter lightly, to make them know that this is a serious matter. Or if they used to make a commitment and not keep it, or if they used to swear upon something falsely. The relationship of this Athar to the chapter under the discussion is that it indicates that some of the Salaf, some of the early generation of the Muslims, and Ibn al-Nafi was from amongst the Tabi'een, therefore he means the Sahaba, that the Sahaba, those who were responsible for them, used to beat them in order to prohibit their children from making a habit of committing themselves. Al-Tizam al-Ahad, yani making commitments or contracts, uh, or yani making an oath to do something, so that yani they used to beat them, to make them know the seriousness of the matter so that they would not subject themselves to violating their contracts or their commitments or their agreements and therefore falling into sin. Sheikh Muhammad al Uthaymeen says that of the benefits of this asaf is that the witness or the testimony of children before they reach the age of puberty, it can be accepted. And there's difference of opinion about this matter. Some said it can only be accepted in matters amongst children. Or some said it can only be accepted from the children at the time when an incident took place, not after the fact, where they may have forgotten or somebody may have told them what to say. And some said that their testimony cannot be accepted until they reach the age of puberty. In any case, he said that one of the benefits of this effort is that the testimony or the shahada of children, it was accepted. And also from this hadith we understand the need to train our children in the matters of being while they are young. And also the permissibility of beating them in order to correct their character or to improve their character. If beating is the only way to do it, then it is permissible to do so. Is that done before? The Messiah that Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has mentioned at the end of this chapter are eight. The first of them with a brief explanation of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Taymin rahimahullah. The first of them is that Al-Wasiyah bihifz al-Ayman that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the, the wasiyah or the advice or the instruction. In fact it is a command. Wahfadu aymanakum. The wasiyah that the believer should protect and preserve their oaths. The second of them is informing us that al-halif, that swearing to sell one's goods, indeed it might be beneficial in causing those goods to be sold and making profit, but in the end it would cause the barakah or the blessing to be lost. The third of them is al-wa'id al-shadid, the severe threat for the one 
who doesn't buy and who doesn't sell except by swearing, who only buys and sells by swearing. And that is due to the hadith in which it is mentioned that those three people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not speak to nor purify them, and for them will be a, painful, a terrible punishment. One of them is a man who made swearing by Allah his merchandise. Yani he didn't buy or sell except by swearing by Allah. And the fourth issue is bringing to our attention the fact that Adam ya'zum ma that the sin becomes greater if there is no cause that caused the person to do it. And the one who commits the sin, it is a sin and it's disobedience to Allah and it should be avoided. However, the one who commits a sin while the circumstances cause that person to be pushed into doing it is less than the one who commits the same sin while there is no cause to do so, while they have no call to do so. Like the old man who doesn't have the sexual desires of a young man and yet he engages in azina and so on. The fifth issue is blaming those who swear while they have not been, or take oaths while they have not been called upon to do so. And this is also mentioned in the same hadith, the one who frequently and easily makes oaths by selling their goods or buying goods only by swearing. And here the Sheikh said that, that this, blaming those who swear without being called to make an oath, he said this is not in the absolute sense. Indeed the Prophet ﷺ has sworn without being asked to swear in many places. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered the Prophet ﷺ in three places in the Qur'an to take an oath without him having been called to do so. Yani without the people requesting him to take an oath, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the seriousness of the matter, called on him to make an oath. And those ayats are mentioned in Surah Yunus, verse 53, Surah Tagabun, verse 7, and Surah Sabah, chapter verse 3. For this reason, uh, swearing if there is a need for it, or if there is a benefit in doing so, then it is permissible. In fact, in some cases, it might even be mandu, commendable. The seventh issue is the praise of the Prophet ﷺ on the first three generations, or the first four generations, and the mentioning of what would happen after them. The Shaykh Muhammad ibn Sa'id Uthaymeen says, this is taken from the hadith, Khairun Nas Qarni, that the best of people is my generation, and those who follow them, and then those who follow them. And he's saying, or, or, or the four, yani the, the, the phrase of the three generations or four, he said, this is based on whether or not it is confirmed. Yani the, the wording of this hadith that it was four, but most of the narrations and the most confirmed of those narrations is without this statement. Yani the fourth generation. Yani the correct opinion is that there are three generations. And what has been mentioned after it, yani the Shaykh says this is a separate issue. Uh, and it would have been more clear and better if it had been mentioned separately because the information or the Prophet ﷺ informing about what would happen in the future and then that actually happening it is a proof of his risala, of his messengership it is a separate, it should have been, it would have been better he said if it was mentioned as a separate issue point number seven or the seventh issue is blaming those who testify while they have not been called to testify and this is taken from the hadith of Imran ibn Hussain radiallahu anhu and likewise, blaming those who, uh, who break oaths and those who, uh, who he has described in this hadith who the people don't call upon to, yani, who, who are not called upon to fulfill trust and those who uh, make oaths and, and don't fulfill them and those who engage, who freely and over-engage in the causes that lead to obesity or fatness while being unaware or neglectful or unmindful of those things that nourish the heart that is 
the iman and the ilm. Yani they go after the worldly things but they don't go after the things that would nourish their heart. They only nourish their physical bodies. The eighth issue and the last of them is that the Salaf or the early generation of the Muslims they used to beat the children, the small children for al-shahada or al-ahad yani taking, making testimony and making oaths or swearing or making contracts or commitments easily and this is based on the statement of Ibrahim and nakhai that they used to do so uh, and from this we understand the greatness and the importance of these matters of making contracts and commitments and oaths and swearing or giving testimony uh, and therefore beating the children who took it lightly also from this we can understand the care and concern of the early generation of the Muslims of the tarbiyah or the yani proper training and education of the children they used to give attention to their children they used to care about what would affect them and how it would affect their life later if they took these matters which are serious in childhood lightly if they took it lightly then when they grew up they would take it lightly and therefore they used to attend to such things and it was from their menhaj from the menhaj of the salaf that they used to beat the children in order to achieve big goals yani, and this is yani, to improve their character and this is based on the guidance of the Prophet وسلم, in which he ordered the beating of the one who reaches 10 years old if they didn't pray yani beating them if they don't perform the salat and this beating he said and this is the last point this beating it has conditions the permissibility of beating them is with conditions the first of those conditions is that the child should be yani, a child that can understand that they are being beat for something. If the child is too small to understand that, there's no need to beat them. There's no benefit from it. The second is that the child should be beat by the one who has responsibility for that child, not by anyone. Number three, that one should not go to the extreme in the amount of beating them, or in the manner of beating them, or in the way that they beat them, or in the place where they are hit. One should not go to the, in the, to the extreme in doing so. And number four, that the child should in fact have done that which they are being beaten for and they shouldn't be beaten for something that they have not been done they should yani, in fact be justified in being scolded or punished for some reason and the last he said that and this is very important especially for parents who have children that the intention should be ta'adeeb the intention of beating the child should be to correct them to correct their behavior the intention should not be intiqam. It should not be that the parent is beating the child to get revenge because the child has done something that I don't like or the child has embarrassed me. But the intention should be ta'adeeb. One should beat their child to correct their behavior. Not because you're angry and you don't like what they have done personally. Uh, because whoever beats their child for re- revenge, if that is the intention, then it will not be, it will not correct their behavior. But it will only be I need to support yourself. This is the end of what? Of the missile and the end of what the Shaykh has mentioned quickly. We can look at the questions very, very quickly. The first of them explain the verse, Wahfadu Aymanakum, and he protect and preserve your oath. It includes three things. The first of them, not frequently swearing. I mean, not to frequently swear, to take it lightly. The second of them, if one makes an oath, that they should keep it, fulfill it. And the third of them, if for some reason they break the oath, then they have to make an expiation for it. This is the meaning of health. Al-Ayman or Al-Yameen. What is the Kafara expiation for breaking an oath? The expiation for breaking an oath, intentional oath, it is number one, feeding ten poor people with the food that one normally eats, clothing ten people, freeing a slave, or none of these are possible, passing three consecutive days. Discuss the result of selling one's merchandise by Al-Halif, swearing by Allah. Then the result, as the Prophet said, is that one's merchandise may sell goods. 
and the Prophet may increase, but in, end the, in the end the barakah or the blessing from Allah and the benefit of that wealth, it would be lost. Discuss the words, there are three, who la Allah, three whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not speak to. Yani, from these words we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would punish some people because of the severity of the action by not speaking to them. And also we understand from this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would speak to those who He is pleased with, the people of obedience, the people who obey Him and who He loves. And also we understand that it's from the sifat of Allah, al-kalam, that He speaks. What is the meaning of? وَلَا يُزَكِّيهِمْ No one purify them. It means that these people, because of the seriousness of their matter, Allah would not purify them of the corruption or the filth or the result of their sins. He would not purify them from that by giving them his maghfirah, his forgiveness, which would wipe away the effect of their sins. What is meant by one who has made swearing by Allah his merchandise? It means that one, it is as though they are selling oats instead of selling their goods. Everything that they buy and sell, it is by swearing by Allah. They swear by Allah and whatever they sell and the way that they sell it and the goodness of their product and the price of it and so on in order to make it go. This is what, what is meant by the one who makes swearing by Allah yani, as his merchandise, that he swears by Allah and everything. Number seven, why the severe punishment for a gray-headed adulterer and an arrogant poor man? It is because these people and those who are like them who commit sins for which there is no call for it. Yani, there is no cause in their circumstance or situation to cause them to do it therefore the, therefore the severity of their punishment is more because their sin is based on their nature and inclination to commit sin and their lack of fear of Allah and their lack of fear of Allah and the weakness of their Iman what is the description of those who would come after the first three generations it is that they would give testimony without being called upon and they would not keep the trust if it was given to them and they would make vows and not keep them and fatness would yani, spread amongst them meaning that they would be over engaged in the pursuit of worldly matters not giving attention to that which is more important the next slide who are the first three generations praised by the Prophet in this hadith they are as-sahaba his companions as-tabi'un the students of the companions and as-ba'at-tabi'een the students of the students of companions what is meant by people will come whose shahada, bearing witness or testimony, will precede his yameen, swearing or oath-taking? It means that sometimes they would bear witness before they make an oath to what they are saying, and sometimes they would make an oath before bearing witness. It means that they would be hasty in taking oaths, and they would be hasty in bearing witness, sometimes one preceding the other. That's how quickly and easily they used to make an oath or give testimony. And this means that they don't take seriously the oath-taking al-yameen, nor do they take seriously the shahada that they are giving in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And finally, what is the relationship of this chapter to the subject of the tawheed? It is that kathratu al-yameen or kathratu al-halif yani frequent swearing or oath-taking it is an indication that the heart of the one who is frequently swearing and taking oath by the name of Allah it means that in their heart there is a defect or a lack of ta'zim of Allah, glorification of Allah. And that is, that lack of ta'zim of Allah, it is a nullification of the perfection of one's tawheed and one's iman. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, shabran la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa tubu ilayk. I don't know if there's any time for questions, to any questions or comments or corrections. Tafadayati. What 
So many times? Not so many times. Okay, the point is that there are not so many, there are some places, not so many. You have named two, if you name ten, that is so many from hundred thousand Sahaba. You have named two or three or five or ten. It is not so many. Don't imagine it is so many. You have seen a few cases. And it is so that the prohibition of frequent swearing, it is not an absolute prohibition. We have said so. It is not an absolute prohibition. The Shaykh said that even the Prophet have been have sworn without being called upon to do so. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered him to swear on some occasion. Swearing for a reason, for a maslaha shara'iya, a legal reason, or a benefit, or a, a real cause, for an important matter, it is allowed even without being called to do so, in some cases. However, what is prohibited and what is discouraged is frequent swearing. It means that in every other sentence you are saying, Wallahi. Did we find the companions of the Prophet in every other sentence saying, Wallahi? If you look through the hadith that has been reported from the Prophet you will hardly find the companions of the Prophet saying any oath or swearing. In how many thousands and thousands of hadith that they have narrated and incidents that they have described and we didn't find them swearing. Except only in few hadith. And those few hadith, if you examine them, you will find that it is for some serious matter. It is on a serious occasion. It is not a light matter. It is not just taken, uh, I swear by Allah I am going to go to the store when I leave here. I swear by Allah that, you know, I am going to try to get up in the morning on time and go to work. And that is, uh, every other sentence swearing by Allah is what is prohibited. And it is what is discouraged. And this is what shows an indication of the lack or the absence of ta'zim of Allah. Not to, in a serious matter, when somebody swears by Allah in a serious matter, when there is a need or there is some benefit to do so. That is the meaning of it. Not that it is absolutely prohibited, but what is prohibited is to use it lightly. Swearing by Allah is using it lightly and thinking it insignificant. But using it for a maslaha, for a benefit or a need or a cause, this is allowed. In some cases, as Shaykh Muhammad Al-Sahim said, in some cases it is in fact mandu, it is encouraged to do so. Right. Unintentional oath means that which the person says unconsciously, unknowingly, yani not deliberately. If a person, just in their speech, they normally said, Wallahi, as a normal speech, then Allah will not punish them for doing so. He will not make them fulfill that which they said when they said that. He will hold them responsible when they said that about something that they intended to do. And they said, by Allah, I'm going to do this for you. If they intended when they said that, that they are swearing by Allah, meaning that this is an oath, that I'm going to do it, then they are held responsible for it. That is the meaning that Allah will not hold them responsible. Means that when they swore to do something mistakenly, unconsciously, unaware, then they will not be required to do it. But if they have consciously made an oath, swearing that they would do something, or swearing that they would not do something, then uh, they would be required to fulfill it or to make expiation for it. It is not okay to say it. One should not say it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He, It means that Allah will not require you to fulfill that oath which you made unaware, which you made unintentionally. Which you made unintentionally. But as for the oath that you make intentionally, you are required to fulfill it. Is it clear? Okay, yeah, uh, Omar.
We shouldn't do so. We should remind one another not to do so. Don't joke by swearing by Allah. Don't joke. But we should swear by Allah for that which where there is a need. And if anybody plays and says, I swear by Allah there's something there, and then it is not there, and then they laugh, this is this means that they don't understand this issue that we are discussing. They don't understand it. They should be told and we should try to explain to them so that they would try to avoid doing such. Well, if whoever is unable and incapable to do anything, Allah only holds you responsible for that what you are capable of doing. If somebody is not able, they have no money to feed poor people or to clothe anyone or to free a slave and they are also not healthy and they cannot fast, then they are excused. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Shalwan la ilaha illa anta sattakta wa tuba lehi.